we're going to be continuing our sermon series on the topic of prayer. And as we talked, we, we've been talking about prayer, we we've, haven't been really talking about prayer as much as the people and their conversations with God. One of the big things I want to drill into you, at least teach you, is that it's not about the words that you say, it's about the conversation which you have. And so as we follow the life of Abraham, as we follow the prayer of Hannah, today we're going to be talking about someone who's very dear and close to my heart, and his name is Daniel. I love Daniel. He was, he's probably my favorite Bible character, um, apart from Jesus, uh, more, than this, more than the disciples, even more than Paul. Uh, I, I consumed the story of Daniel when I was in high school, and I, I, was, I was so blessed by it because because of what happened in Daniel's, in Daniel's life. And if you don't know what happens, let me give you a quick summary of, of who Daniel is. And, and Daniel is this Jewish, Jewish guy, a Jewish kid who was taken from Jerusalem, taken from, from Israel, because they were, the Israelites were, were in exile. They had lost a, a war and lost a battle. And so um, basically they were taken into Persia. And so Daniel and his friends, they were basically the, 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 the elites. They were the kids of the nobles and the, the, the kings and princes of, of uh of Israel. And so they were taken into Persia and they were given this, um, a lot of, on, not honor, but a lot of privilege rather than just the other people who stayed in Jerusalem or the other people who were taken as slaves. Daniel wasn't taken as a slave. Instead, he was um, going to be trained up by, by the Persians to be one of the court officials. And so Daniel was based, and his friends, uh, kind of like a, a, a 1980s, 1990s uh, comedy. Oh, him and his friends, they were taken to this boarding school where, where they, were be, they would be taught by the Persians. They would be taught by, by these people. And the story that really hit home for me, that really impacted me, was when Daniel, seeing all the amazing wine, all the amazing food, basically went to his friends and was like, hey, man, we, we, can't, we can't eat this stuff. It goes against our religion. It goes against our relationship with God. And so what Daniel did, he went to the chief eunuch and he was like, hey man, like, we can't eat this, this crazy food. Like, I know it looks really good. It, it smells amazing. The wine looks great. But if we eat this food, we're going to be defiling ourselves before God. So they come to this agreement where Daniel and his friends can just eat vegetables and water. And they do. And something amazing happens. A miracle happens. And it's not supposed to happen, but a miracle happens. And because Daniel and his friends are just eating vegetables and water, they become strong. And they start looking good. They become basically the, the superstars in the class. And the, 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 basically the, the, the teachers looked at that and they were like, wow, this is amazing. It's incredible. And they made everyone eat only vegetables and water. What ends up happening is really what impacted me so much. It says in Daniel 1 that God made Daniel and his friends ten times more wise than all of the, uh, the other court officials, all the other magistrates, all the other people inside the, the king's court. Daniel and his friends were ten times greater in wisdom. And so me being a, a young high school kid trying to get into the, the best colleges in the country, I was like, all right, there's my answer. If I do this, if I... If I really dedicate myself to God's law and to, his, and to, to being obedient before God, God's going to make me ten times greater, ten times wiser, ten times smarter, and oh, how great that's going to be. And so I love Daniel. I was, like, I was reading that. I was like, man, if I just stick true to my faith, I stick true to Jesus, and I just go to church, I do all these amazing things, then man, I'm going to be ten times greater. But that's not what Daniel experiences in his life. 
The story of Daniel and the food and him not defiling himself is but a precursor to what happens. And it's another story that I'm sure we've all heard of. It's Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. That doesn't sound ten times better. That sounds ten times worse, being thrown into a pit of hungry lions that are about to devour you. It, it, it doesn't, it's not God trying to explain to the story of Daniel, this is how you attain success. The story of Daniel is, is God explaining to Daniel, I will always be there with you. I will always watch over you. I will always make sure that you are taken care of. Even if, even if what the world's logic is, is eat the king's food. Eat, drink the wine. Do everything that the new culture says to do. If you stand firm in your faith in, in me, I will, I will bring you prosperity. I will bring you joy. I will be your rock. See, Daniel learned this at a young age. He learned at a young age that God's path, that God's plan was better than any other plan. It was better than his plan. It was better than the plan of his culture. It was the best. And so regardless of his context, Daniel stood firm in saying, I will follow God, no matter what. See, again, when I was growing up, and I, I was born in California, and in California, it was this, this constant struggle, this, this, this clash between my Korean culture and my American culture. And, and in L.A., in California, it was, it was kind of this constant struggle, this constant battle, whether it was at school, whether it was at home, whether it was at church. It was this constant battle between these two cultures. And what ended up happening to a lot of people, because there's a constant bash, it's a, it's a war between the Korean culture and American culture. And again, if this is not your culture, that's okay. I'm just trying to explain to you where I come from. You would have the Korean, the Korean people explaining all the depravity of America, all the, the bad things about American culture. And then you would, I, would go to, go, I would go to school and I would talk to my American friends and they would tell me how weird it is all the things that I'm doing at, in, in, in Korean culture. Things like, things like making sure that um, you know, we, we, we respect our elders. We, 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 we say, you know, and they're like, this is so weird. And so this constant clash between these two cultures of, of, of how things do things. And the question I had as a child was, which way is the right way? I mean, you can have your opinion, which one you like better, but what is the right way? Because I, I, I was kind of the obedient kid that wanted to do everything the right way because I wanted to, to be good. And so what ended up happening, and it wasn't just me, but it was a lot of my friends, is we created this third culture, which was the Korean-American Christian culture. And a lot of you know it as church culture. And this was the culture that when I was in college and after college, I clung on to and I was like, no, this is God's way. It's not the, the American church culture. It's not the Korean church culture. It's the Korean American church culture. And it's the perfect one. It's the one that if you stick to and you really know, understand, then you're going to be successful in your walk with the Lord. You're going to be successful in life. Everything's going to be good. I put all of my trust and weight into being a good Korean-American Christian. And I hope you're kind of laughing at me because of how ridiculous it sounds. Uh, but I find myself, even now, as a pastor, relying on that culture as being important, as being my framework. 
as being the way in which I determine if something is good or if something is bad, if something is right or if something's wrong. And this goes from the smallest of things to the biggest of things. It goes from something as small as how an event is run. And if an event is run, it needs to be run not in the Korean way, not in the American megachurch way. It needs to be run in the Korean-American way. Or it could be even in the way that we interact with one another. The way that, that I've made it out to be really, really isn't the biblical way. See, what Daniel was doing, what Daniel did in his life, is that he didn't look to the culture for answers. He didn't look to his context for a framework in which, how, in which he was supposed to respond and, and speak and communicate with God. What he constantly did, what he consistently did, was go to God in prayer. He didn't look to the culture for answers because if he looked to the culture for answers, the culture is going to give you the answers that it's already come up with. But you go to God and God will give you his answers. And it's the best answer. It's a hard answer and it's not always the easy answer to follow, but it's the best answer. And this is where, where I can't proclaim to you that answer on a, on a, on a meta-narrative. Meta I can't, I can't explain to the answer. It's an individual answer that you need to get to on an individual basis with God. And so, for example, I can't just come up here and tell you, and, and tell you, don't sleep with anyone other than your spouse. Don't commit premarital sex. I can't, I can't just tell you that. What, it needs, what needs to happen is if when you fall in love with someone and, and, and they're not your spouse, what you need to understand is that the culture you live in is going to tell you an answer. The culture you live in is going to tell you, hey, you love them, you care about them, you know what, just, just, just do this, this, and this. The church culture is also going to give you an answer. The church culture, the, the Korean-American Christian culture is going to tell you in a way in which you're supposed to operate. What I'm trying to explain to you today is that both of those cultures give you insufficient answers. And answers that will lead to death and destruction. But the only answer that will really transform you, that will change you, especially when you're dealing with these moral issues or these questions regarding life, the best answer that can come from is from the Word of God, the Logos of God. And what we know is that that Logos is Jesus. It's Christ. The problem is, is that we come into so many trials and tribulations in our community. Today, what we're going to be reading is a, a, a prayer from Daniel, not of his own sin. He's not praying a, a prayer of repentance for himself personally. He's praying a prayer of repentance for his people, for his community, the people he, live, he lives with. And what we're going to be, we're going to be breaking it down. And it, it's a long prayer, but I'm going to try to make it as succinct as possible in, in how we're supposed to read this prayer and how we're supposed to emulate this prayer. But what I need to get through to you is that Daniel has this desire to pray for his culture. Because he knows the culture doesn't have the answer. He knows the culture is broken and depraved. And the only, only deserving fruit of the culture is death and destruction. And so he goes and he asks God, would you bring your salvation, your redemption, your mercy? So would you please open your Bibles with me to the book of Daniel chapter 9. And as you go there, I, I want us to really think about our communities. 
and the communities that we're, we're going to be praying for. And this goes from the large scale to the micro scale. And the large scale, I, I would say, is our world. But in, in, in primarily, I, I think my community on a large scale is the United States. I'm an American. I love this country. I love, I love what this country stands for. But our country has problems. And, and that's a large understatement. On a smaller level, my community is my family, my wife and my daughter. It's my, my parents and my siblings. And, and we aren't perfect. We have a lot of problems as well. On a little bit larger scale, our community is our church. And, and you know what? Our church is not perfect. We have our issues. We have our problems. So how do we approach those problems? How do we approach those issues? And so as we read from Daniel chapter 9, we're going we're gonna to find a way to, we're going to learn a way at least how Daniel approached these communal problems. And it's kind of long, so please bear with me. Then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to, the, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of, of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses and the servant of, of, the servant of God have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing, bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept, has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O oh, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O oh Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. 
O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Amen. This is a prayer of repentance for a community, for a people, for a group. And this doesn't just apply to the, the small scale, to a, it applies as well to the large scale. And what I want us to know in the structure of the way Daniel prayed this is he began by stating and proclaiming the righteousness of God, God's character. And this is how we need to begin every single one of our prayers, especially when we're praying a prayer of repentance for our people, for our community, is that we declare that God is good that God is righteous, that he is perfect. The reason why we declare that he is perfect and he is good and he is righteous is because we are declaring, therefore, that it's not his fault that any of this calamity is happening. We declare that it's not because of him that we're experiencing this kind of destruction and failure in our communities. And this destruction and failure is what we're confessing, is what we're being honest with God. And this is what I've been trying to drill with you, is that prayer inherently needs to be honest. It's telling God what you're going through, what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. And Daniel is in his 80s in this time. He's, he's old. He's an older, older man, and, and he's seeing Jerusalem, and he's seeing the people of Israel being dispersed across the world, not because they're, they're, they're missionaries and they're going across the world explaining God's love, but they're being dispersed because they're in exile. They're banished. And he's telling God how much it hurts him, how much it pains him to see his people rejecting the law of God, rejecting their, their, their father. And he, he, the reason why he says, God, you're a good God, you're a righteous God, you're, you're, you're perfect, you're magnanimous, you're king, you're, you're, you're Lord. Because he's saying, it's not your fault. We deserve this. We're the ones who rejected you. We're the ones that, that experienced this calamity and we deserve it to the core of who we are. But you're good. And this is my prayer, is that he, he begins to confess the sins of Israel. He begins to confess the things that they've done wrong as a community. And again, this isn't to give you individual guilt. This isn't to make you feel bad. This is a prayer for the community. And again, the community can be our nation. When we see atrocious things happening on the news, we can say a prayer of intercession on behalf of us, our community, our nation. When we see terrible things happening, we can say, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us. You are righteous. You are good. But look at what's going on. We, we deserve this. This is brought on upon us because of what we've done. See, again, in this prayer, there's no pointing fingers. Daniel isn't pointing fingers at his neighbors and saying, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. No, he's taking that burden on himself and saying, it's our fault. I'm a part of this community, and because I'm a part of this community, I'm as deserving as everyone else. This prayer can also work to our families. This prayer can also work if your family is starting to disintegrate and starting to, to break down. And instead of pointing the fingers at one another and saying, it's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. Coming to God in prayer 
on behalf of your community, on behalf of your family, and saying, Lord, you are good, you are righteous, you are perfect, but we failed. Our family has failed. We've messed up. Our church. Our church needs to pray this. And again, it's not because each individual has done anything wrong. Again, I love every single one of you. The more I get to meet people and have lunch with you, have dinner with you, I, 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 think, it's, I think I'm in a great church. This is, this is wonderful. But as a whole, we have problems. We have mistakes. We've done things, we've done things that are so wrong, that are so, that are so bad, that we need to come on our knees and say, Lord, you are good, you are righteous but we have missed the mark. That's the confession aspect. And then Daniel moves his prayer to the petition aspect. He says, Lord, we, we desire restoration, not because of our righteousness, not because we've done everything right, but we desire restoration because we know of your great mercy. We know of your great goodness. It's not because the Israelites are so good and they're so wonderful and they followed all your laws. No, Lord, I've already confessed that we've broken all of your laws. We've strayed away from the path. But I'm asking you to restore us today, not because of my righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Again, this is the way we pray for our nation. This is the way we pray for our church. This is the way we pray for our families. It's not because you're doing anything that God is going to restore, but because it's him who brings the dead back to life. I think we've, we've, we've lost somewhere. We've, we've grown prideful and arrogant in many ways. And I, I, I come from a family of doctors. And what ends up happening um, when you're in a family of doctors is when someone gets sick, you're, you treat it right away. You, you, you find the right medicine, you, you know what to do, you know, you know how, to, how to manage, how to, how to make sure that you put yourself in the best position to become healed. And it's great, it's wonderful. But even doctors know that when something's dead, it's over. You can't do anything about it. There's, a, there's no medicine that can bring someone back to life. It just doesn't work. They're dead. But see, with God, the God that we're praying to, the God that we're pleading to and asking him for his power, his, to, for him to manifest, he can bring the dead back to life. We believe in the resurrection. So for many of you, the families you're, you're in, the marriage you're in, the community that you're in, the church that you're in, the nation that you're in, we're dead. It's dead. It's beyond human repair. There's no turning back. You might as well give up. And that's what the culture is going to tell you. The culture is going to tell you, sorry, it's a dead body. There's nothing that you can do that can raise us from the dead. This petition, this confession, this prayer is saying, yes, Lord, I know it's dead. My family is dead. My church is dead. Our nation, we're dead. We're down the drain saying you're a God of great mercy. You're a God of great mercy, and it's not because I'm righteous, it's not because I'm good, but because you're good, you can bring this dead body back to life. And God proves this. He shows that he's able and willing and going to do this in our communities because of why? Because of Jesus. Because that's what he did with Jesus. He, he allowed his son to die for us. 
He allowed his son to die for your marriage. He allowed his son to die for our church. He allowed his son to die for our nation. And he proved that as he raised Jesus from the grave, he's also able to raise us from the grave and give us new life. But if we would only be honest with God, confess to him that he is righteous and we are failures, that we are so terrible at just maintaining and treating when all we really need is resurrection. We need new life. Church, I, 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 I want to just, just leave you with this idea of prayer. It's not about your plan, your way of doing things. And I think the church, that we're, we're very much at, at, at fault for this as well. So if something goes bad in our community, in our church communities, we're so quick to point fingers. If an event doesn't go well, if, if, if someone falls into moral failure, if, if the pastor does something wrong, then it's always pointing fingers. It's always saying, hey, you're the one that, oh man, it, it's like because of you, our church isn't growing. It's because of you that people aren't becoming blessed. It's because of you that things aren't going well. And then what it does, it creates that war because when someone gets the point, finger pointed at them, then the immediate response is right back at you. It's like, hey, you think, you think the sermon sucks? You come up in here and you preach. You know, you don't like the way hospitality is going on. You don't like the way the welcoming committee is going. You don't like the way the youth group is going. Then, hey, you, you do something about it. Stop complaining. This is war. And it's not just in the church. It's in our families as well. It, it's what causes that constant bickering of, of, hey, it's your fault. You need to do more. You need to do more. You need to do more. No, you do. It's your fault. See, what I'm, what I'm proposing to you is instead, let's go on our knees. Take ownership. That we're not against each other. We're not opponents. We're a family. We're a community. We're, we're one body. And so when there's a problem, when there's a calamity that we're facing, instead of saying, oh, you know what? It's the deacon's fault. It's the pastor's fault. You know what? It's the congregant's fault. It's their fault. Let's get on our knees and tell God, it's our fault. You're good. You deserve better than this. God deserves the perfect service. He deserves the perfect church, but he's stuck with us. So, Lord, we're sorry. We're so prideful. We're so sinful. We've messed up so much, but, Lord, would you grant us mercy? Would you restore us? Would you, would you be the one who breathes life into our congregation? Because, Lord, I know I can't do it. And I guarantee you, I can't as your pastor. I've been praying so hard, but you know what? God hasn't given me the lungs to breathe life into LCC. But he has given me the lungs to pray, to get on my knees and, and ask for repentance on our behalf. There's a misnomer thinking that, you know, we're trying to be the perfect church. There's a misnomer thinking that, that a church is what's going to save our country. Church is what's going to save our communities. A church is what's going to be saving your marriage. That many times we throw church as the answer in so many ways. When someone's going through something bad in their life, oh, you should come to church. You come, come with me to church. When, when someone's going through problems, oh, oh, church, church, church. I think Emery learns that because she goes church, church all the time. But the answer isn't church. The answer is God. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. And hopefully your church is a place where people can meet God and hear about God, learn about God, be introduced to God, get into fellowship with other people who are interested in God. But I'm sorry, this, this church is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. 
And I promise you, I guarantee you, I will always preach the name of Jesus. I will always preach God's word. I will always do that. So it's not even about me or the words I have. It's because all I know, I only have one answer for you when you have problems. Let's go to God because he has the answer. And I'll pray with you. I'll confess with you. I'll cry with you. But I know we have a God who can raise the dead back to life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, God, with prayer. And, and I, I, I know that you are moving in, the, in our lives in a way that is amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And Father, we are not a perfect community. We are not a perfect nation. And, and Father, we've been pointing the fingers too much at others. We've been pointing the fingers left and right, placing blame. But Father, we know that you, that you are righteous. You are good. So Father, we look to you confessing that we are broken, we are sinful, pleading that you would show your grace and your mercy upon us. We thank you for Jesus as that image, as that symbol of of your great love for us. We thank you for the cross. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for our community. Lord God, you are so amazing. You are so wonderful. You are gracious to us that even when we fall short of your will, of your law, of your path, God, that you always are faithful to bring us back into your fold. God, that you would wrap us up in your arms of love. And so, Father, I pray that as we confess our sins, as we proclaim to you what we've done wrong, not only on an individual level, but on a corporate level, that we would come before you in humility but in confidence, knowing that the answer is Jesus. You have forgiven our sins, and they've been washed by his blood, that we are now as white as snow. Father, would you be with us through this week? And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus. Christ, the Prince of Peace, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.